Christ Community Baptist Church in Prestonsburg, Kentucky. Um, Alex and Seth, don't remember their last names, but they were there. I'm looking forward to introducing some of these brothers to you guys somehow, some when. I uh, got to hear them. Chris, I've heard, I've heard Chris before, got to hear Chris preach yesterday, and Jared and Justin, and just, it was such a blessing uh, to hear them, to hear the word from them, and I uh, wish you could have been there. But uh, one of the books that they, they gave away, they were really generous in, in the conference. I have a copy of this, and so I got one, but I wanted to give it to you. This is called Be Thou My Vision, not to all of you just to one of you. Uh, Be Thou My Vision, a liturgy for daily worship. And so liturgy is like an order, a flow of worship. We call uh, our flow of worship a liturgy. Um, We don't follow someone else's liturgy like some traditions do, like each Roman Catholic church or each this. We don't have like the same liturgical calendar, but we do follow both an organized flow, uh, both organized and a flow of thought where it's not just, hey, what are our favorite songs? But if you notice like on the headings that we have for our singing uh, we want to f- first approach God's throne, uh, then we admit our need, whether that's sinfulness or weakness. Uh, we want to apply the gospel to our need, and then we prepare our hearts for the receiving of the word preached, and then we respond in faith. Those are the headings on those, if you've noticed that. That's a, that's a flow, a liturgical flow of thinking through worship and really how we should respond to that on a daily basis. And what uh, this brother, Jonathan Gibson, came out with a few years ago, this is number one, a pretty book. Like, it's a pretty book. Uh, There are books and then there are pretty books, and this is a pretty book. Uh, He compiles some of those same things, a very similar flow, and a couple other things, and also brings in scripture readings, uh, brings in uh, prayers by other authors over the course of church history, uh, brings in some songs, brings in some catechism readings and things like that. I've been trying to remember to incorporate this into my daily morning plan, uh, and I want to encourage you to do that as well. We introduced every session going through one of the days. It's 30 days and meant to kind of go through on a rip, on a repeating basis as you go through those things. This was just really encouraging. Uh, the Amblers already have a copy, uh, so who would like, you need to use it. Not like 100% of the time, Ross, going up. Yeah, so it's not like you're committing to only use this, but let's, like it's too pretty to let it just get dust on the shelf. So look through that and then let me know uh, what your, your thoughts are. If you guys, maybe we'll buy some other copies if other people are interested. Good book and, and a great way of, if it's just like, well, you know, I kind of feel like I'm in this rut of I'm just, you know, I do my Bible reading and then what? Or, or I'm only awake halfway through or what should I pray for? Um, having a guide like that can really be helpful. What we're going to do, we have our middle school and our high school classes with us today and for the next few weeks. It might take us all the way through November. It might not. I don't know. Uh, We're kind of open-ended on that. Uh, Ligonier Ministries out of Florida, that was uh, R.C. Sproul, Dr. R.C. Sproul, uh, founded that decades ago. Uh, He passed... um, a few years ago, but the ministry is continuing of a faithful ministry, pointing people back to the word and emphasizing the holiness of God. I'm just, I'm thankful for the resources they provide. On a yearly basis for the last, I'm going to say four or five years, they put out a survey. They have it done professionally on a number of, of theology statements and they get the information from people as to, you know, where do you live and what's demographic and what's ethnicity and what's age and what's gender and what's education and, you know, all these different things. 
And they put it together, they compile all the answers onto a website called uh, thestateoftheology.com. I think it's at the top. You should all have a handout, right? Not that version. That what it says, thestateoftheology.com uh, is the report about that. And their data, you can actually sort by, you know, what do people in the South say about this? And so what I want to do through this, because the... The reason it's called the state of theology is not just like, hey, this is interesting, but even tracking what do people, um, as good as surveys are, right? How good are they? I don't know, but at least somewhat accurate. I think three to 4,000, like under 4,000 people surveyed total about this from all these different areas to give a, um, an overview of what do Americans believe uh, about some fairly basic truths. This isn't, you know... Uh, key Baptist doctrine or key Presbyterian distinctives. This is some pretty high-level stuff that they go through. What do Americans believe? And then what I find probably more troubling maybe than, than that, it's, while it's helpful to be like, what do our neighbors across the country believe? But what do those who say they believe the same thing that we do, that evangelical gospel focus, whatever that means by way of religious affiliation, because that what does that term mean? Uh, but what do they believe about that? And, and hopefully that can kind of, some of the alarming things about that makes me think, well, what do we believe? Uh, from the middle schoolers and the high schoolers up through the adults to where we try to teach doctrine as we go through different passages of scripture uh, through exposition in the Psalms or in First Timothy or in Hebrews or now in Colossians uh, to teach those things and trusting that the Lord will use his word in your personal time and in training hour and in the preaching uh, to develop a true and right understanding of scripture. Uh, but it is also helpful to kind of come together and say like, well, let's summarize some of these things and make sure that our belief is not just in line with Ligonier. Uh, but our beliefs are in line with God's word, that, that we both will have the, what I think is the right answer biblically, but also know why it's biblical. And so that's kind of what we're going to, that's what we're going to do. And so you have the statements, you're going to write your answer, mark your answer, uh, question by question, we're going to start at question one, you're going to write down your answer, you need to mark it on your paper, uh, do so boldly, right? Martin Luther said, sin boldly. Uh, because then you can repent boldly. Um, but mark your answer just like, here it is. Okay, so forget this somewhat stuff. Go strong. No, uh, you, can, you can mark that down. You know, we're not going to have a raise of hand of what the answers were because this isn't a matter of like trying to point out where, you know, I want to pick on, where Eli is wrong. No, <laughs> or where Eli is right. That's not the point, but just for you to be able to think through that. And then I want to ask, as we talk about the answer, why uh, and really where, as in where in scripture do we have an answer to these questions so that we're grounded in that? Does that make sense? Right, let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our, our time in this. Father, I, I thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth. Uh, thank you that it's not just a, a book of um, rote philosophical teaching, although I probably would enjoy that. Uh, but it's stories and songs, um, prophecies, letters. Um, it's, a, it's a beautiful, uh, perfect combination, uh, perfect revelation of who you are. And it is from you. 
May we have a profitable time thinking about you and us and our world according to your word. May be glorifying to Christ as we do so. Amen. All right, so the first statement, so you are going to strongly disagree, somewhat disagree, you're going to not be sure, you're going to somewhat agree, or you're going to strongly agree. This statement, God is a perfect being and cannot make a mistake. Mark your answers. God is a perfect being and cannot make a mistake. Be nice if we had tables and you could loudly put down your pens and I would know when you've marked your answer, but we don't. And I don't like awkward silences. I'll just sort of... You could just sigh really loudly and awkwardly when you're done. I had a class do that one time. (sighs) I really don't like awkward silences. I feel awkward in any silence. I feel like I should talk about being, no, I should stop. Got it. I love my wife. My wife loves me. Here I am again. God is a perfect being and cannot make a mistake. That statement is true. I hope that you strongly agreed with that statement. Nationwide, 51% of people surveyed, nationwide, not just believers, 51% strongly agreed with that statement. And 15% strongly disagreed with that statement. 10% somewhat disagreed, 9% not sure, 15% somewhat agreeing. That's interesting that the people that have a conception of God across our nation, their conception of God is true, that they, a majority, that he is a perfect being and cannot make a mistake. 95% of evangelicals strongly agree with that statement. That's good. (laughs) Should have been 100%, but that's okay. 1% strongly disagree. That's not okay, but I don't know who they are. Uh, Hopefully it wasn't one of you. God is a perfect being and cannot make a mistake. How do we know that from Scripture? Why do we strongly agree with that statement? I want passages of Scripture, ideally. If you don't know the reference, you'd be like, a verse says, and one of us can figure it out. God is a perfect being and cannot make a mistake. That is true. Why? Yes, Angela. Good, yes. God said, be holy for I am holy. And an understanding of holiness uh, is that righteousness, which, is, which certainly includes a moral perfection, right? It's not just that, uh, holiness, but it definitely is an overlap with that. Good, yes. Be holy for I am holy, uh, which we have both in the Old Testament and repeated in First Peter in the New Testament. Good, what else? He can do no wrong. Uh, Trying to think what there's as for this God, his way is perfect. Uh, That, is that Psalm 18, 30? Is that kind of what you were thinking of or were you thinking of a different passage? I don't think that is Psalm 18. Oh, it is. This God, Psalm 18, verse 30. This God, his way is perfect. Perfect. 
having to do with blamelessness. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. Yeah, so his holiness having to do with his moral character and perfection and also his, his way, the things that he does, that is perfect. Good, what else? Oh, shall not the judge of all the earth. Yes, do what is right. That's Abraham uh, arguing with God about Sodom and Gomorrah. Will you let the righteous perish alongside of the wicked? Far be it from you to do that. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is right? And the answer, of course, is yes, he will. Uh, There weren't any really righteous in Sodom. He is merciful also. Thankfully, the judge of all the earth does not only act according to justice. He also acts, his justice is joined with mercy at the cross. Good. Is there somebody over here? Psalm 50, what, what are you thinking of? Okay. How does that read? Hmm. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Uh, if it's perfectly beautiful, right, the, the temple, the place of God's dwelling, if it's perfectly beautiful and God is not perfect, then he taints that place, right? And so where God dwells, what flows from that also applies to God. Uh, Jesus spoke of the perfection of the Father in the Sermon on the Mount, I'm giving the references if you want to jot some of these things down. That's, that's why you have space on there. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Make sure I'm quoting that correctly. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Uh, not only is God perfect, but let that which comes from God was perfect. What do we know about the law or the teaching of God from Psalm 19? The law of the Lord is perfect. The law, the teaching, that, the instruction and commands that flow from his person, that is perfect. What about Romans chapter 12, verse 2? We are to not be conformed to this world, we are to be transformed by the renewal, renewing of our minds that we may present ourselves, well, we're already presenting ourselves as living sacrifices. I just mixed verse one and two, forgive me. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And that will is his will of command. What does God want me to do? That which is right. That is his, his standard for me. That is the path that he wants me to follow. And it is good and it is acceptable and is, it is perfect. It would not be God's will for us to sin. Now we keep, we've talked about this before. We talk about the will of God. We don't just use that phrase in one way. There is the ordained will of God, that which happens, which does include sin. And there's that which in a sense ought to happen that which we should conform our lives to. Uh, You can never not act according to the ordained will of God. There's no choice in that. But we are to conform our lives to that moral will of God, how we ought to live. So God is a perfect being and cannot make a mistake. Any other verses that jump to mind on that? Okay? Yeah. 
Job 42, no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Yeah, absolutely, good. It is impossible for God to lie, the book of Hebrews reminds us. Yes, very good. And so that's that making a mistake, right? He, you know, he conforms to the truth of his law. He does not lie, right? Yeah, he does not make a mistake. Uh, his, his standard is his character. He doesn't conform to a standard. He is the standard that all things conform to. And that standard is that holiness, that perfection, that righteousness. Yeah, great. All right, any other thoughts on that? Any other questions about that? But what about this verse? Maybe we're misunderstanding that. Yeah, Fred. I don't have some, a verse to share, but uh, I mean, you can, a human being or a being can, uh, you can make a mistake. They can make a mistake and not be, not, and not be sinful. Mm-hmm. So if you point to this verse that you, can, that you cannot sin, What's embedded in this is that he's, and he's, you know, we dance around it, but he's sovereign. Mm. He's, there's no, there's, uh, he knows the beginning from the end. It, it, there's no opportunity in God to make a mistake. He's not going to make a, a mistake as opposed to a sin. Yeah. I'm, t- I'm trying to That's good. a distinction there. And, and I think, uh, I'm just wondering if people are, are bound up in that idea. Okay. The people who said, they may disagree with. Okay. Yeah. I'm just wondering if people have such a uh, a depressed view of God that they don't Mm. distinguish between sin and mistake. Yeah. Uh, So Fred's trying to uh, bring up aspects of sometimes it isn't sinful to make a mistake, uh, but all of all of God's plans and His sovereignty, uh, there aren't any missteps in that, and not just not all missteps are sinful. If I wrote two plus two equals five, I was wrong, but I wasn't sinning. Uh, but God also doesn't do that, right? That all of like, oh, you, you turned, like if somebody were driving with you and uh, offering you directions because they thought that they knew the way to go and then you took a different turn, like, oh, you shouldn't have taken that, you should have done this. It's like, well, actually I had other information. Like I needed to make this stop or I saw, I knew that there was traffic here at this time of day. So I'm gonna go this way just because I'm doing something different than what you expect doesn't mean that I'm making a mistake. Maybe that doesn't quite get there, but all of, all, all, there's no, uh, never, God's, God, as God's plan moves forward, uh, which flows out of his character and his sovereignty, his power, everything happens the way that he wants it, right? That he has planned for that to happen. Um, it's never too fast. It's never too slow. Uh, there's never a, a misstep. It, his, his will in that way, it marches on perfectly. We look at it like, oh, I don't like that part. of. Well, we might not like part of the plan, but it doesn't mean that there was anything wrong in the plan, a misstep or, or a sin. Does that cover? Yeah, very good point. It's the worldview that we diminish God. Yeah. Bring him down to our level. Right. We make mistakes. Yeah, we make mistakes, and so God must be in our must be like us, so he makes mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. Well, God does not make mistakes. Yeah. Good. Anything else? Absolutely consistent. 
Yeah, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yeah, because it, either if he's not, so that's what the other aspect of perfect, like we can think of it as a blameless or righteous. Uh, we can also think of it as a complete, right? So no, no need for improvement. Uh, if God, he couldn't say, I'm, I was, I am, and I will be the exact same if he had need for improvement uh, or if there was a possibility of, decline, right? I, I, can, I, I could make something and I could be, and my family could be like, that was really good. The thing that, the pizza that you made, that was, that was perfect. I'd be like, well, I'm going to change something about it. Just perfect. Ah, no, it was good, but I want to, I want to tweak it. I want to try this. I want to try that. I want to see, make sure I can duplicate it or these type of things, right? Because like, it's not perfectly perfect. Nothing is, except God, always, consistently. Was that the, I think that was the word, right? A consistently perfect. Yeah, great. Good. Mm. Yeah, excellent. Deuteronomy 32, echoing the same sentiments. Wonderful. Good. So we got good verses on that. Hopefully that can help solidify some things. Uh, number two, here's the statement. There is one true God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. There is one God, one true God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Mark your answers. That is true. God, there is one true God in three persons. The God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. 54% nationwide strongly agreed with that. So a simple majority of Americans are Orthodox and, and Trinitarian, interestingly enough. 14% uh, strongly disagreed. Among evangelicals, 96% strongly agreed, 2% strongly disagreed. Again, that's sort of like the perfection of God. Like, there's a, did you misunderstand the question? Or what, what do you think? What do you mean by evangelical? Like, what, what's going on here? So Trinitarian, that's how we would talk about that, right? That's what this question comes down to. Trinity, tri-unity. Tri means what? Three, and unity means one, three in one, one in three. One God in three what? Persons, not three gods, one God. Not, not one person acting three different ways, three persons distinct from that. The oneness of God first. So we take this in two parts. There is one true God. How do we know that from the Bible? One true God. What? I thought I heard of Ephesians. What does it say in Ephesians? One God and Father of all. Yes, good. What else? Yes. 
Excellent. First Timothy 2, verse 5, there is one God and one mediator between God and man, men, the man, Christ Jesus. Good. What else? The Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Or the Lord your God, there is one Lord. Yeah, good. Deuteronomy chapter 6, thank you. You're getting to the three part. We're on the one part. You got to hold that verse until later. Put a, put a bookmark in that one. We'll get there. Did Jesus ever talk about that? John 17, verse 3. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God. So the first part of this, is there one true God? Yes, there's only one true God, Jesus himself prayed and taught that to his disciples. Uh, in the prophets, God takes issue with his people's idolatry and, and uh, emphasizes that he is the only true God. There are little g, well, how we put it is little g gods, right? But Jeremiah 10, verse 10, for instance, but the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting king. That's Jeremiah 10, Verse 10. So we have that oneness of God. Uh, all, you know, the, the, all the gods of the nations are idols, false, but the Lord made the heavens. Right? There's a trueness to who he is, the only true and living God. Now we get to the threeness. God is one and God is three, which is not a contradiction because it's not one God and three gods and it's not one person and three persons. It's one God in three persons, right? It can't be reigning and not reigning at the same time in the same place in the same way, right? Or somebody say, can't be, uh, the sun can't be shining and it be raining at the same time. It's like, well, actually it can. Uh, that's not a logical contradiction. It can't be, Raining and not raining, the same time in the same place in the same way. Only one of those things can be true. So it is not a logical contradiction to say that God is one and three because one what and three what are different, right? So the threeness of God uh, is uh, whispered and hidden in parts of the Old Testament and revealed clearly into the New Testament. So really the oneness of God is the emphasis of the Old Testament. And then the New Testament sheds light on that to show us that the threeness of God is there as well. Uh, but uh, Mike gave us Matthew 28, 19 and 20, where Jesus lists uh, the fact that our, our baptism, right, our identity as his followers and our profession of that is to be Trinitarian. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, right? What other passages would teach us about the three persons that make up our one God? Yes. Yep. So he sees, I'm doing the will of my Father. I'm, I, I am one with my Father, but I am not the Father. Right? Jesus never says, I am the Father. I am one with the Father. And really there's no, I've never, you know, 
never say never, but I don't think I've ever come across a heresy variation that says there are, God is one God in two persons. And so when we make the distinction between the Father and the Son, that's Trinitarian, even if we haven't talked about the Holy Spirit yet, right? So again, it's either one God in three modes, that's a heresy, that's wrong, uh, or one God in three. And so the case for the, the distinction eternally between the Father and the Son really is a Trinitarian case. So yeah, so John 6, John 10 talks about that as well. What, what else do we have? John 14. Yes, I will ask the Father, I, I, the Son, will ask the Father who will send the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit. Yeah, so we see a distinction there as well. What other passages? Because is the word Trinity ever found in Old or New Testament? It is not. But that doesn't mean that the concept and the truth of it is not there. Angela, what were you thinking of? Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, so the let us, and there's, there's some like, is this a, a Hebrew royal we? Is that just a, a way of speaking? And I'd probably kind of take a both and, right? Like, yes, there is that, uh, but that's a whisper too of the fact that there isn't just an I, there is a we, there's an us in the Godhead. Uh, the spirit hovering over the face of the deep, right? Uh, in, in creation, that we see that. And then we see really the one speaking, the, 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 the Father created through the Son by the Spirit. We just have that revealed in the, the New Testament. Uh, but that's in the Old Testament. The angel of Yahweh, the angel from Yahweh, the messenger from Yahweh receives worship. So we see there as well, we see that uh, the clearer aspect of who that is, that's, that's the Son, Um, Not every angel, some angels won't receive worship. The angel of Yahweh, the angel of the Lord receives worship. Only God receives worship. The angel of the Lord is God. I'd say God the Son, uh, appearing in what's called a Christophany or or an appearance of Christ before he was born. What did he look like? I don't know. (laughs) Bright, shiny, scary, as always. Uh, what other Trinitarian passages do we have? Yep. Excellent. Baptism of Jesus, that same, we see, th- we see distinctions. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about one God and three distinct persons, unified but distinct. And so you have an activity of the Father, the voice of the Father, uh, the presence of the Spirit on the person of the, the Son, right? Not a ventriloquist act. Uh, It wasn't a show. There was reality to that. Very good. We talk about in this one God, a three co-eternal, co-eternal, all eternal, co-equal, all equal persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, each of whom possesses all of the attributes of God. Um, They have Romans 1 listed here. I'm not sure exactly which part of that they're thinking of. Probably the same thing. The gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, the father giving his gospel, promising through his prophets concerning his son, 
who was descended from David according to the flesh, was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. This is Jesus Christ, our Lord. So there we have it as well. And then uh, 2 Corinthians 13, 14. Forgive me if I stole that from, from someone, but we have that as well. Paul gives a benediction. The end of his letter to the, the second letter to the Corinthians, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, which would be the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Right. So we're making, we, we, it's good to see this, especially when people are like, oh, that's just something that was invented or we're misunderstanding this passage. Like, well, how many different biblical authors are gonna say the same thing before we recognize that they're unified? Because it's true, it's from God. One time is enough, but we could be misunderstanding that. But we're misunderstanding Matthew and Mark and John in the words of Jesus and Paul and, 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 right? Um, really, we could see that in Daniel as well, that same distinction between the father and the son. And I saw that the ancient of days and one approached him, received worship, sat at his right hand. Daniel 7, we see that same uh, whisper of those things. Uh, these three persons, this is, this is a definition they gave. These three persons can be distinguished by personal properties. Uh, the father is unbegotten, the son is eternally begotten of the father. It's an eternal relationship that the father has with the son. Not a, not a physical bringing into existence, but an eternal father-son relationship. And the spirit proceeds or goes out from eternally the father and the son. And that the distinctions in the works, but a, a participation, kind of like the father created. How? Through the son. How? By the spirit. So it wasn't just the father creating. It's father, son, and spirit, that unity of their work. It wasn't, redemption is not just the work of one, right? God redeemed his people through his son by his spirit. That's how we come to new life as well. And we can see distinctions, the, ele- the eternal choice, the election from the father, the redemption accomplished by the son. The father did not die on the cross. The spirit did not die on the cross. The son God, the son, in his human nature, died on the cross. Not true. There's, the father is not taken on a human nature, right? We see a distinction. The son, the spirit did not take on a human nature. We see a distinction. The son did, right? So we want to have these pieces. We know who the God is that we're worshiping. It is not better for us to just be like, wow, this kind of is intense. I don't need any of this. I just worship God. Well, who is the God that you worship? And I've talked about this before. It's just like, oh, I love my wife, Leanne. Tell me, tell me about her. Oh, well, she's just this excellent cello player, uh, six foot three with brown hair, right? I was like, who are, you, who are you talking about? That's not, that. no, yeah, I just love my wife, Leanne, and just describe somebody totally different, that really dark skin that she has. It's like, none of those things are true. Who are you talking about? Who are you saying that you love? There, there needs to be truth to that. Uh, who is the God that we're worshiping? We're worshiping the one God in three persons eternally. Uh, other, other thoughts or passages about that? There's, there's not more divinity or less divinity? Um, absolutely, yeah. Yep, yeah. That's first, nope, yeah, first Timothy 3. I believe, right? Great indeed is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest, he, God, was manifested in the flesh. 
wow. Like definitely a mystery. We're like, it's there, but you're like, I'm, I'm not wrapping my brain around that. Good. Don't, you don't have your brain wrapped around it. When you're like, oh yeah, I totally understand this. Like, oh, no, you don't. And always be careful. We talked about this, but always be careful. Oh, this is just like, no, it's not. It's an egg. No, it's not. It's a clover. No, it's not. It's a father and a, and I'm a father and I'm a husband. I'm like, no. <laughs> like any really good illustration, probably heretical. Well, God is like, you know, like God. Like how he's one and three, just, but only him. <laughs> that's, that's the truth. Any other thoughts on that? There are other passages we could go to as well. Yeah. Yeah. And people, I think people are limited by that. So I think it needs to have a, a deep understanding of what a person is. Yeah, that distinguishing of... of, of uh, I wish there was another word. But right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a philosophical term. Person itself is just like, we, we say that and it, it holds books and books and books of meaning and trying to grow even in what that means. Like what, what other word could we use? And that... Um, you know, we kind of are using historical language even if, like, uh, is that ideal? Do we really understand what person is? And, uh, you know, if we said being, it sounds like, I think we, if we go three beings, we're moving away from the oneness, right? But if we think too much of one, two, three persons, then we're moving so far into threeness that we lose oneness. That's always the tension that we have. It's, I, I think if you're like, when, as you lean in on like, oh yeah, God is one, there is one Lord. And the, the further that you lean into that, you're like, but don't forget that one is three. You're like, oh, right. Okay. I'm going to go on this side of the boat. Three. Yeah. The father is God. The son is God. The spirit is God. And try to visualize or conceptualize that you lean into there are three gods and then you you know the boat's going to tip over so sort of uh this back and forth rocking kind of like Jesus's deity and his humanity you know, the the more we lean into one uh, we start to lose the other we try to balance ourselves on that's why it's good to have passages about both of those right the lord is one god the father god the son god the spirit right the father is god Son is God, the Spirit is God. Uh, the historical language that we use for that, I think, is, is most clear in Athanasian Creed, which is in the back of your book. Or no, in the midst of your book, Ross, that I just gave you, has the Nicene and the Athanasian Creeds, which uh, we draw a lot of our language from, historical language. So there's that. All right, number three, which we don't have time for, but that's okay. This is going to, this will go quick. (laughs) When does it ever? God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. That statement is false. 
Nationwide, 45% strongly agreed with that statement. 16% strongly disagreed, which is interesting, but that could also be a Jewish person saying absolutely not. Or a Muslim, no, right? Definitely not the case. Evangelicals, 46% strongly agreed with that statement. 46% of professing evangelicals in the United States of America in the last year do not see the necessity for the distinctions between these religions. Nationwide, 45% strongly agreed, 16% strongly disagreed. And then of evangelicals, 46% strongly agreed, and only 32%, less than a third. Yeah, basically this, yes. Actually, there's a little bit, there's a 22% somewhat agreeing nationwide, um, 10% somewhat agreeing. 56% of professing evangelicals are unbiblically wrong when it comes to other world religions. 6% not sure, 6% somewhat agreeing, 32% strongly disagreeing. How do we know that this, this statement is false? Is it just because it's ours, right? West Virginia is the best state to live in because it's my state. Ohio's the worst. That's just empirical reality. No, just kidding. Just kidding. Oh, she didn't even hear me. That's okay. It wasn't true anyway. Uh, is this just personal preference? Just kind of like, well, I like Baptist more than I like Presbyterian because I'm a Baptist. Better than Lutheran, better than... Can't we all just get along? Coexist? Have a nice little bumper sticker? No, why do we know from Scripture this is not the case? <laughs> kind of answers itself, right? Because the Bible is a Christian book. Uh, but it is a standard for, for truth. Verses, thoughts. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, Islam has Jesus, but not exclusively. They have Moses, and they have David, and they have Abraham, and they have Jesus. Lots of good prophets. Then they have Muhammad up here, but Jesus isn't Allah. Muhammad is not Allah. Allah is God. Muhammad is his prophet. Right? What were you saying? Yeah, yeah, it's just like, oh yeah, Jesus is good, but Muhammad, have you guys met Muhammad? It's just so good. Uh, no, not really. That was me. That was my Muslim voice. Jesus uh, teaches exclusivity, requires that. What else? Yes. Yeah, what verse was that in Jeremiah? 20, Jeremiah 25, 6. Yeah, God's anger provoked. Yeah, if it was all fine, all ways to God, right, all paths up the same mountain, then why is he so angered by idolatry if it's really just the worship, it's all the worship of him? Just different names, maybe a couple different ways. No, it's not. 
right? He makes a distinction. And really he makes the distinction between the worship of him in Judah at the temple as he prescribed and the worship of him represented by the golden calves that Jeroboam instituted in Bethel and uh, whatever the other city was, right? So it's not just like, oh yeah, this is the, this is the God, right? Aaron did the same thing. Uh, look, Israel, this calf, this is Yahweh. I don't know if you ever caught that, but that's what he's saying. Aaron isn't making like a separate idol. He's representing Yahweh. This is the one who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of bondage. And then that gets ground up. Um, The people have to drink it. There's a curse on them for it. And then Jeroboam just got brilliant idea that went so well the first time. Let's do it again. Matter of fact, let's do it twice. No. (laughs) And then not to mention the worships, uh, the worship of the Baals, the worship of the Ashtoreths, the worship of Molech, right? Those other things, all unacceptable, Right? Uh, clear distinctions being t- being made between all other religions. We sort of said that, right? The, the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. There's something different about him. That's at the core of Judaism, but they only have that God is one part, right? Why isn't Judaism true? Why is, not, why is Judaism not the path to God equal with Christianity. Because they haven't embraced the Messiah Jesus. You cannot worship God without worshiping Christ. You can't. It is not honoring to him. It's not okay. Right? The fulfillment has come. We don't live in those, those shadows, even as Paul talks about to the Colossians. Uh, yeah, Yes, Acts. Yeah, uh, Acts seventeen. Yeah, it's like okay, you're religious, but you you're missing it, right? Like okay, you you're even so religious, you have like this extra in case we missed anybody. Well, you have missed somebody. You missed the only somebody, and I'm going to tell you who he is now. And he commands all nations everywhere to repent. Repent of what? Of every one of these altars. That's Acts 17 in Athens at the uh, Areopagus or or Mars Hill. Yeah, good. Uh, Exodus 20, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. Allah and the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ are are entirely different beings. It's not just another name. It's a different God. Uh, And really a God that does not have a son named Jesus Christ and a God who does have a son named Jesus Christ, those are different gods. That's the key between these different things. So God does not accept that worship. He commands repentance of his people from their idolatry in both, both testaments. They have 1 John 5.21 listed. I somehow can't find. Those little books are hard to get to quickly. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. <laughs> Simple one. Don't. Hey, stop it. (laughs) Remove that sin. Replace it with worship of Jesus. Yeah, what's in 2 Kings 19? Uh, Mm. Mm. 
Yes. So in Second Kings 19, we have the, um, the Rab Shaka, love that, who's coming on behalf of the messenger of the king of Assyria. The, the Assyrians were God's uh, messengers and, and uh, means of judgment on Israel, and they come against Judah. And they kind of know that, that, it's like they know somehow that God is with them. They were working on behalf of God, and it's good as far as it goes. And then all of a sudden, they're like, but who do you think you are? And who's your God? We wiped out all the other gods. It's like, up, oh, cross the line. I'm going to show you that I'm not like the other gods. You and all 186,000 of your troops that I'm going to kill overnight because I'm not like them. Yeah, you might have burned that block of wood because all of it was was a block of wood. I'm not a block of wood. Uh, yeah, the fearsomeness of, of God in these things. But yeah, I, Hezekiah prays for the glory of the Lord and the, the Lord glorifies himself and shows that he's not like those other idols um, to his people and to the Assyrians. Then his sons murder him when he gets back to his palace. Bummer. Mm. Yeah, there's that faithfulness. But yeah, the jealousy of the Lord the rightful jealousy of the worship of that which he made and that of his people like a husband and a wife. Yeah, we see that in that type of picture. And so to, to worship God that other way is really to worship another God and worshiping another God, uh, he is, is, is furiously opposed to and, and rightfully so. Uh, it's unfaithfulness when we worship other gods. Yeah. The judgment of the Lord that fell on his people for idolatry, the Assyrian and the Babylonian captivities. Yeah, excellent. Very, very good. You know, his people learned that. They learned there's one God. They learned it well. They learned a little too well because they refused to receive his revelation in Jesus Christ. Uh, they were like, never again another idol. We're not even going to listen to when God comes down. You can go too far. You can, you can miss that part that we talked about earlier. Well, great. Three questions. And that was Psalm what? Psalm 81. Yeah. Uh, Yet another call of you will not, you shall not. Worship in these other ways. And we really do need to make sure that we understand the distinction between these religions and other religions. Um, Cults, false versions, false aberrations of, what's a false aberration? Is that a double negative? False or aberrations of Christianity. Say, we're talking about the same thing. No, we're not. You're talking about a different Christ, so you're talking about a different trinity or no trinity. You're talking about a different God. We're not worshiping the same thing. We must avoid that. That's idolatry, right? Less than a trinity is idolatry. Less than an eternally divine Christ is idolatry. We got to keep that in mind. All right, three. Uh, hopefully we're all, we're, we're Trinitarian and Orthodox, hopefully, at least. It's a start. Uh, we're out of time. Let me pray. Father, thank you that we can call you Father. You are the, you are the God of eternity. And we, we confess uh, embracing a mystery that we, we cannot finitely grasp, that you are one God eternally in three persons. Uh, thank you for this revelation of yourself. May we submit to it in, in humility and in wonder. Please bless our time of worship. Um, today. Amen.